Hi, the purpose of this podcast is to help you apprise the literature. I will try to read off timestamps for auditory marking so as you're going forward you can stop and re-listen to the part that is of interest to you. Timestamp now is 15 seconds in. In the last podcast, you learned to conduct a literature search with yielded you various research articles. Now comes the time to review each article in order to determine if this supports the area of inquiry. Many times a single article will be selected to attempt to answer a question related to a diagnosis or a therapeutic intervention or even a prognosis of an individual patient. This presentation is going to review the outline of a single research article to provide you with an organized approach to read and interpret the article with respect to strength and relevance. A critical appraisal is intended to determine the strengths, weaknesses, and usefulness of the findings as they relate to current practice. The general outline of research article includes the following headings. There will be headings such as abstract, background and significance, study methods, data analysis, findings, results, discussions, implications for practice, etc. There are formalized appraisal guidance tools on the market readily available online. Uh, some are specifically called, one is called the Critically Appraised Tool Maker also known as the cat maker. Another one is called the best bets. You can uh, search these in your search engine of choice. These tools are available from the Center for Evidence-Based Practice Medicine and they're available um, free of charge. And what they will do is provide you key information within a study they will help you determine the validity and usefulness of the research. And at the end of this guided uh, process, a summary will be created that you will be able to use for future reference. There are also study sheets or other references available in your textbook that will do the same thing. But this is a more automated version. Let's begin with the abstract, 226. The abstract is the first thing read but the last thing written. This is used by most readers to determine whether or not to read the rest of the article. It should provide a brief summary of the research article and depending on the journal selected for publication, the problem and results should be clearly explained. I have found that some journals prefer there not to be a result listed in the abstract so that it will sufficiently tease the reader into reading the entire article. At the end of the day, even the scholarly journals are a business. Timestamp 306. Now, the background and significance. This is the beginning of the most research reports, and this serves to provide context for the research. The aim of this section is to provide the reader with background and understanding of the study's necessity and why it's important to answer the question. In publications, there are two questions that need to guide the method that you write with. Those two questions are, so what and who cares? These guiding questions will set the tone for each section of the research article. Within the section, background and significance, the purpose or problem statement 
of the study should also be clearly presented. The problem statement should be clearly stated and the variables need to be clearly identified. This is also the section in which the population of interest would be clearly identified as well. The next section is the literature review section, timestamp 407. The review of the literature should contain an appraisal of the relevant literature reviewed for establishing a foundation for the study. The literature reviewed should be current, ideally within the last five years, and the reason for that is that if you review the secondary sources, you will usually be within another five years. So essentially you could go ten years back with a five-year-old study. In order to maintain the relevance and frame the current state of the science, this is the time limit generally adhered to. The literature review will clearly identify gaps in knowledge as well as applicability of the setting with respect to the intended project. We may not take research intended for emergency room population and then try to apply that to a primary care practice or say an inpatient setting. It may not apply. The reader should specifically check the dates of the literature cited in the articles in the lit review as well as the reference list to judge whether or not that the article being reviewed is reasonably current. Classic studies and sentinel studies can be older than the five-year limit, but this is where it would be very helpful to draw on the reader's personal knowledge and level of expertise in the specific content area to determine how relevant and how strong the literature under consideration is. Timestamp 536. Methods. The method section describes how the study was conducted. It will specifically identify things such as design, sample, instruments used, as well as specific procedures done for the data collection. What you're looking for in this section when reading the methods is to look at issues of sampling bias or inconsistent data collection among different subjects, subjects dropping out, a lack of validity in the tool selected. You may also realize that a protocol has been so rigid that it just lacks feasibility of implementation. While it may be a great study, it may not be practical for a real world. Maybe it needs a laboratory controlled environment. The next section to consider is design. This is usually a subsection within methods, and this may either be quantitative or qualitative or mixed. Quantitative studies generally generate numerical data that are statistically analyzed and effect sizes are reported in terms of relationships to variables. Quantitative designs are known as experimental, quasi-experimental, non-experimental, or pre-experimental, depending on how many subjects were chosen uh, sometimes there will be some sort of also a power analysis in the design section. This is not common in pilot studies, although they may have it. Uh, the purpose of a pilot is usually to see if it would be feasible to conduct a larger scale study. So essentially a pilot allows you to go through the motions without investing as much time and money. Qualitative studies can either be ethnographic, phenomenological, historical, or grounded in theory. These respective qualitative research designs should be looked up to have a better understanding of what they mean and what the outcome can be. The goal of a qualitative study is to explore or explain a phenomena from the perspective of the individual. So you will see titles such as the lived experience of someone doing something in a specific setting. 
qualitative study designs yield descriptions that can be analyzed for themes and common elements and then shared meanings among subjects as a result of a qualitative study. So this may also generate the beginning of a new theory. In contrast, quantitative studies will generate numerical data and you will either accept or reject the null hypothesis. We don't ever say prove. We say the data strongly supports or the data does not support. And that will allow for parsing as to why in this case the data doesn't support a particular theory. Time 32. Sampling. Sample size is essential in carrying out a research study as it directly affects the generalizability of the findings. There are many kinds of sampling and it's important that you become familiar with the terminology of sampling. There are different kinds of sampling specifically there is probability sampling and non-probability sampling. Probability sampling is answers the question is there a known probability in being selected? What is the known probability of being selected? Non-probability sampling is what we normally do because of things like convenience or we're looking for volunteers for a survey, etc. That is non-probability sampling. Just to give you a brief overview of the different types of sampling which you can investigate on your own, some types of sampling include simple random sampling, stratified sampling, cluster sampling, systematic sampling, multi-stage sampling. And one final comment with respect to sampling. There is a difference between random selection and random assignment. These are not interchangeable, but oftentimes they are used interchangeably by the novice researcher. Random selection requires the use of some form of random sampling, such as a stratified random sampling. Random sampling refers to the probability sampling method, meaning it requires, it relies on the probability to select the sample. This will give you statistical significance. Random sampling, random selection gives you the basis of a statistical test's significance. This is where we get into the p-value. On the other hand, random assignment, this takes place after the selection. And this implies that it's a true experiment and that everyone that is selected, randomly sampled, has an equal chance of being assigned to the test group or the control group. So random assignment comes after the selection. Random assignment can be used just by flipping a coin or using a random number generator. But this is often difficult to do because of uh, environmental controls. Unless you're in a laboratory controlled setting, samples will talk to each other and uh, this may mess up your generalizability. In reviewing the research, the sample selection should describe power analysis and a desired level of statistical significance. This will tell you an estimate of the variability in effect size. The sample section should also describe specific inclusion and exclusion criteria for the participants. Improper sampling methods can limit the generalizability of findings. 
The sampling section should also describe subjects that were approached for inclusion but refused to participate. It should also describe the demographics and characteristics of the participants, and it should also have a description with respect to those who actually completed the study, or if they dropped out, at what point did they drop out, because all of that will give you meaningful data and help you plan your own study. It might affect the fact that you might like to increase your sample size despite the power analysis. So if your power analysis says 60 participants is sufficient, but you know that people are likely to drop out just before they finish, well, maybe you need to double your sample size, and that would be the rationale. The IRB is going to want to know why you're choosing that specific sample size in order to mitigate risk of exposure. So that becomes your rationale. Now, let's talk about instruments and data collection tools, timestamp 1245. Each research tool or instrument used in the study needs to be thoroughly described, and it needs to be described in terms of reliability and validity. There is a difference between reliability and validity, and it's important that you learn and review the terms. And there are different kinds of validity, so you should review those as well also. In describing a research instrument, describe what was this tool initially intended to measure? How many items are in the tool? And how you decided to pick this tool? And what previous studies used this tool? Ideally, you want to highlight how they were similar to your study so that you are not randomly picking a tool that's never been truly validated in your setting and has no reliability in your setting. Some other descriptions of the tool may include uh, the reading level of the tool, how intense it is to administer, how time intensive it is, uh, how feasible it is in terms of cost, do you have to buy each copy, etc. If the researcher develops a tool for the study, then you need to give a full description of the instrument, how the criteria were selected, and you're going to have to conduct your own reliability and validity testing and describe how those were established. Ethics. The goal for research is it has to be safe for both the participant as well as the researcher. You have to describe your informed consent procedure, IRB approval or waiver, the level of IRB approval. If a study is not IRB approved or waived, it may not be accepted for publication. This is also the section where you would describe the consent process and any problems you encountered along the way in obtaining the consent. Maybe they get halfway through the consent form and they stop reading because it's too long or the language is too complicated or they perceive too much risk. The procedure section. Study procedures will describe exactly how and when the data were collected and under what circumstances. And how was the data managed throughout the study and after the study? This is where you talk about if it was being secured in a lockbox. This is where you talk about if it's electronically retrievable and passwords and encryption and confidentiality being maintained, etc. The limitations section. There may be constraints that will limit the generalizability of your study or the study you are considering. This limitation should be stated outright and addressed head on. Don't try to hide these. Limitations may be addressed as a separate subheading, or they could be under the respective subheading of where the limitation applies, such as procedure limitations, methodologic limitations, sampling, etc. If this happens in a chopped up fashion like this, there needs to be a summary statement for clarity, summarizing these were the limitations overall. Or you could make it a separate subheading and address them all in one heading. 
The next section will be data analysis, and the purpose of this is to tell the reader what statistical tests you used or methodologies you used to analyze the data you have collected. Findings and results, this is just the facts. No interpretation, just the numerical numbers. In mixed methodology, this may be combined with a discussion section. But in quantitative research, findings and results should be separate from discussion. You don't want to give any meaning or interpretation to the results in this section. This just tells the reader what was discovered, how it was discovered, and then in the discussion section is where you will explain the results. In the discussion section, this is where the author should present conclusions that you draw from the findings, acknowledge the limitations of the study, and then describe how these may be generalized to different groups, if at all. If it can't be generalized, you would say that in the discussion section as well, and then why it can't be generalized. You should also discuss how the results fit into the current body of knowledge, uh, how they pick up where another study left off. This is where you talk about why the study was important to be done. And you should also compare your findings with other findings identified in the literature. Do you contradict the literature in this study? Do you support the literature? Do you parse the literature? All of that is discussed in the discussion section. And then finally, the conclusion. This is where the writer presents your interpretation of the study and what it all means, and you offer your own unique perspective. This is where you articulate the purpose of this study, you restate the problem and the answer to the question. How this study was undertaken will be summarized. This is the section where you should articulate the findings and also the relevance to the general population or population of interest. In the conclusion is where you drive home the message to the people whom you were writing for. This is the who cares section of the paper. You should always keep them in mind, but here is where you're really driving this home. Nurse practitioners who work in primary care should fill in the blank. Uh, primary care providers ought to Boom, there is your answer. Spend some time writing this section and try to make this as quotable as possible so that your work may be future cited and utilized. And also you want to include as many keywords as possible uh, so that it can be found because modern searching is based on keyword saturation. It also needs to read well. So you're not writing for a robot, but keep in mind, this is where you really want to be quoted and found going forward. I hope this helps, and I wish you continued success.